Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you all. Glad to be here in the house of the Lord with you. Man, we had, uh, we had about 25 dudes go to the Men's Summit uh, Conference, and yes, man, it was, it, was, it was something else. Let me tell you, it was awesome, wasn't it, Greg? We were in a, in a room of 4,000 brisket-smelling, sweaty dudes, nothing like a women's conference. You didn't have, there was no perfume anywhere in the house, and everybody was just in an uproar. It was, it was something. Watching God just begin to acclimate dudes and uh, speak into the hearts of men and really start to unearth what he's already embedded inside of them was, for me as a, a pastor and, and watching these guys around me, there is a, there's a lot of men in this church that can change the world, let me tell you, and I'm excited that I get to come alongside every one of you guys. So, and it wasn't just the men that were in that conference, I can tell you that. There's a lot more, and so uh, I, I just... There's a lot more to come with that. You know, guys, if you, if you can get, if you send your wives to the she can, send them to she can, because we're going to ask them to send us. We're going to have a, a big men's conference with about nine different churches right here on June 17th. So just plugging that out there, that's going to be fun. But right now, this month, we have our baptisms coming up. So if you've never been baptized, if you've never been water immersed, baptized, I want to encourage you that this is your step, your next step in your spiritual journey. I'm not talking about if you've been sprinkled. If you've been sprinkled, you haven't been baptized. If you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you May 29th, let that be your time. Or if you have a, a, a child, you want to start talking to them about baptisms, now's the time. Or you know somebody that is just a relationship, a friendship, somebody you've been discipling, whatever. Hey, encourage them. Here's a next step in their spiritual journey. Come on. It's okay. If they don't attend here regularly, bring them on anyway. We're going to start pastoring these people and bringing them in and getting them discipled and lives changed. Y'all good with that? Man, that's good. Well, uh, also, our next steps is next Sunday. Don't, don't forget about that. Again, we're always trying to move people along in a spiritual journey. We're not here to get stagnant and stop, plateau, and wonder what's next for us. Uh, we'll have that at 6 p.m. on Sunday night, and so, but you'll need to get registered. And uh, we're, we're trying to streamline that process to make it a little more user-friendly. But uh, right now, you're getting a great deal of teaching and relationship building there. If you want to know how do I get plugged in, what is a next step, we're trying to educate you. On what a next step in, in, in this spiritual journey is. It's not about just getting saved and sitting down. I can tell you that. God didn't say, he didn't save you to sit, he saved you to serve. Didn't he, Greg? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's right. And then first Wednesday, you heard it. You heard Jesse, Jesse Jr. talking about first Wednesday. I have a special message this Wednesday for you. Uh, I could not sleep last Tuesday night, and I just started praying for people, and, and God just started uh, pouring out a message. And you know it's from God. He gave me three C's on spiritual worship in my sleep. Come, come on. That's a, if, you, if you've never preached and put a message together, that's a, that, is a, that is a blessing from the Lord to get a message in the, between 2 and 4 a.m. while you're trying to sleep. So uh, I, I, got a, I got one for you, and we're going to have a good time. I've got a fresh perspective on spiritual warfare, and it's completely abstract to what you think it's going to be. And so uh, I love when God begins to shift our perspective on things and change, change how we see things so we can see them from his perspective. It, uh, it, it kind of makes all things new. If you'll go there, that's our new series, making uh, all things new. And that's what God does. He's continually coming into a world that 
is uh, seeing one side or this side or this side or another. We have diversity and division, and then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, but let me give you perspective to make all things new in your, own, in your life. And so uh, we are talking about, this is based out of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, you'll find them in Matthew 5. And uh, the theologians argue, is there eight, is there nine, is there ten? Uh, you know, we're going to take nine, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them into eight weeks uh, over the next two and a half months. And so today we're talking about blessed are the poor in spirit. And as you read this, you first read this, you think, well, I know what that, uh, I know what that is, but I'm going to open this up in a way to where you'll realize, wait a minute, I knew nothing about what that one statement meant. And uh, I'm hoping that you're going to really grasp something for your soul so that your soul will come out of here revived and changed for the future. And so let's just dive into it. I'm going to read the, first, the, the Beatitudes first, and then we'll break it down. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 1 through 12 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, first beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That would be the second. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And in the world full of judgment, boy, should we be nice to have a little bit more, more mercy, wouldn't it? To get mercy and give mercy and, and just re- release mercy when... When, when you want to just judge somebody for their actions or behaviors or the things you may not understand right now as to where you are spiritually, instead to choose, to choose this, I'm just going to put some mercy on that one right there. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be world-changing? Probably in your family, maybe. Yeah. Start applying some mercy, you'll be hollering, yeah, amen and hallelujahs, let me tell you that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's breaking this down. He's giving new perspective. Uh, Jesus, this is a, just a part of a sermon on the, known as a sermon on the mount, the beatitude, just a part. So I've actually been to where Jesus was supposedly giving this message. It's in outside of Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee up on the hillside, and there's a little tree up there, and, and uh, the, the tour guides will take you, and they say, here is where Jesus gave the, the beatitude, the sermon on the mount. And to the left was where you have the... Uh, the Gerasenes, and and then over to the right you have Capernaum, and then you have Tiber, Tiberius, 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 and uh, so you see these spaces, and you could see if you knew that, and you've been there, and you could you could just picture this, you would start to understand why some of the messages that Jesus gave, and how he gave, and when he gave, and from the perspective he gave, how they were just illustrated through the scenery and the culture of the day and the time but yet what's amazing about Jesus what's amazing about our God is he can take something that yeah it's applicable for that culture and that time but it's also equally as powerful and relevant for us right here in 2022 and he's facing the same conflict same issues same thought processes because he's speaking to the heart of humanity 
from a godly kingdom perspective. And so for the next two and a half months, I'm asking you to not focus on how to become a better person. And whenever you hear Beatitudes, oh, you're thinking, oh, so he wants to work on my attitude, and this is how he wants me to be. And, and all of a sudden, our minds start kicking in and say, okay, how can I make this change? In fact, I'm going to tell you, don't, don't do that. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on how you can be better. That would, that would actually stop and hinder the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in order for this to actually come to fruition to life inside of you. And so I'm asking you not just to come to church. I'm asking you to make room for the inner working of the Holy Spirit throughout this series to give him space in your soul to just digest how we break down these beatitudes so that he can have space to change the inner struggles and issues and thought processes that are from this place, this perspective, or that perspective to bring in his kingdom perspective on these nine truths of beatitudes so that he can actually just impart the change in you and all of a sudden you change. You see the different approach to that? I'm not doing it, I'm surrendering to it. There's a whole different method in this. And Jesus didn't come to just teach these principles. He modeled these principles. He modeled love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. He modeled mercy even. He came so we, we would have a physical record of his likeness so that we, would, that we would evidence these qualities even in our own life conforming to his image. We, you know, humans, we need to see it before we can believe it. We need to see it before we can do it. And so thank God that he sent his son so that people, humanity could see it and record it so that we could picture it in, uh, from words, like you do a book when you're reading a book or reading something. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. So we could see it. We could see it in our mind's eye so that we could hopefully adapt to it. Well, there's a modeling, but then there's an inner working of the Holy Spirit that he later tells us through John. He begins to deliver as he, before he goes to the cross and then thereafter in the 40 days, I'm sorry, the 50 days after the resurrection, which is what we're in leading up to, the, to Pentecost. And so 2 Corinthians says it this way, we are transformed little by little from glory to glory in, into his likeness. So it's little by little. So just trust the little. A lot of times we want to see those big shifts, but just trust the little shifts, the little shifts, the little transformations, because those little shifts, those little changes in our soul, in our heart, in our mind's eye, begin to bring great transformation because he takes us from glory to glory within that. He's given us space to grow within in his new truths. And so let me, let me, just, let me just do this, because I think it's time that the church start to prepare for revival in this generation. I really do. I really, I really think it's a time that we need to begin to prepare for revival. Instead of us waiting for revival, because that's what, what many have been doing, we, it's time for us to prepare for revival because that's how anything is ushered in is through the preparations. In order to do that, it's going to require every fiber of every member of the body of Christ to engage in such. So if we can, if you'll pray with me, we're just going to pray before we open this up. So Holy Spirit, we just, we just surrender ourselves to you right now. Everything that we came in with, every thought process that says we, we have to be good enough or do enough, every wall, every barrier, every boundary, we just lay it down right now. Everything that says we're good enough, we, we've earned it, we just lay it down right now. And we just make space for your inner working, and we just ask that you give us a fresh revelation of your beatitudes in Jesus' mighty name.
and got to get a good amen. Amen. All right, so these statements right here reveal where true happiness can actually be found. In all nine of these Beatitudes, you're going to see they begin with this word blessed. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago now. It comes from this word, this word makarios in the Greek. And makarios means blessed, blissful. And it's where we get the word happy. And in fact, happy, the word happy comes from happenings. But it's not all, it's not all about just being happy about what happens that day. Oh, the sun came up, so I'm happy. The sun, the sun didn't come out, so I'm not happy. Or some of you are happy when that happens. Uh, I have money in the bank, so I'm happy. Uh, I don't have any money in the bank, so I'm not happy. Uh, my team wins, so I'm happy. Uh, my team didn't win, and so I make excuses, and so I'm not happy. Uh, my team didn't draft the right players that I want. So, you know, I'm, I'm not happy. And so it's these happenings these happenings that take place begin to dictate, are we happy or are we not happy? And we've settled on that being an internal definition of how we decide or allow ourselves to decide if we're going to be happy that day. But that's not what Jesus intended. And so that's why he said, blessed are those. Blessed are those. It's not about our circumstances of whether they're going to build us up or knock us down, all these ups and downs of life. And happiness tends to come and go with our circumstances of life. Everybody could say a big amen to that one. But it's not to be so with people of God. We are to be so bliss-filled and so uh, full of joy deep inside of us that it's a curious, wondrous, even marvelous joy that the world can see and they wonder about so that they are attracted to the body of Christ so that so that they are so challenged by their own understandings because they can't understand our approach to life that they're drawn to us to begin to initiate a conversation about where does your happiness come from. That's how we were designed to be in Christ. It should be that attractive. And so these statements reveal where true happiness can be found. And notice also how these statements... And, and notice how they say, for they start with, for theirs are, or for they will, or for they. And many of you don't know why we even call this church Thrive Community Church, but it's because so much of the body of Christ has just settled for a part of the salvation story. If you ask anybody in this state, probably, they say, why did, why, why did Jesus, uh, why, why do you, what, what is a Christian, what is a Christian, what makes a Christian? Well, uh, I believe in Jesus uh, because Jesus came and he died for my sins. Well, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. He didn't just come and die for your sins. He came, so, he came to heal your marriage. He came to ch- set you free. He came to heal your soul. He came to change the nation, the world around you. He came to change your perspective on life. He came to heal every aspect of your life. He came to stir up the gifts inside of you, and he came to put purpose in your life. That's way beyond just the salvation story that you've owned of. He just came to set me free from my sins, and one day I'll go to heaven. No, that's a piece. But if you're settling for that, then you're settling for less than what Jesus did on the cross. And for too many of us, they are going to go to heaven, but they aren't going to realize what God has given us. People are asking the question, what what does God require of me? The real question is not what do I I have to do, is what do I need to realize that God has already done for me that I can still yet attain? 
There's so much more than what I've understood before. There's even so much more than what I was told when I came to the Lord and made him my Savior. So there are many of us, the, the for theirs and the for they, that, that many believers just don't have yet, and I hope you get them. I hope you get them. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not sure if you can even get the next eight until you get this one. Because it's this one that begins to lay the foundation for the next eight that we're going to discuss. And in other words, there's a greater possession for you in life when you realize that you stand before God completely bankrupt. Completely and utterly bankrupt. There's two, Greek, two words for this, this Greek word, poor. And one of them is, well, I just don't have enough. And the other is, because that's not it, the other is, I've got nothing. Like I'm completely and utterly destitute without him. And that's what it's saying right here. Blessed are those who realize they are completely and utterly destitute. Look at it here. And I got it right here for you in your notes. Blessed is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, one who realizes their absolute need for God. And that's what, God, that's what Jesus says. That's a blessed person right there. And it changes the dynamic and the thought process of any, any human on earth. Because we're seeing from a natural eye. Matthew 5, 3 in the New Living Translation says this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the good word. Good, uh, the good word. Bless, uh, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven, it belongs to them. The NCV, those people who know they have great spiritual needs are happy because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Man, they are blessed. Sadly, most people in America, because we, <laughs> because we actually uh, are in the top 1% of wealth, most people in America don't realize how poor we really are. It's hard to see. So when you have a lot, you don't recognize the areas of life where you don't have a lot. Because it's covered up with the things that you actually do have. And if you've ever been in a place where you can obtain or purchase anything, then you're a mightily blessed person. If you have an opportunity to get stuff, you're blessed. Every person in this room is extremely blessed. Even if you think you don't have enough because you live in this country, you're blessed. In fact, you're more blessed than 99.5% of the rest of the world. And that's the truth. And we're here, we are pretty blessed, pretty self-satisfied, but we will never depend on something we don't think we need. And the more we dive into this, we see people who, are, who say, I, I can't get this uh, we'll become people, I, I can't get this on my own. Now, I'm not trying to insult anyone, but I think most of us actually think that we can. Most of us think we can, we can work through this salvation thing on our own. Well, I've done enough. I've said the right words. And so I'm good now. And it's all because of the words I said that I'm actually saved. And when we believe this, and we begin to live this out, as if now, it's because of us and the things that we did, we have eternal life. 
and God switches all of that up. I've done my part. I'm good. And in those terms, you're only good because you think you've paid the price. Anyone remember 9-11? I do. I remember where I was that morning. I remember getting a phone call, and I remember uh, somebody saying, hey, there's a bomb went off in one of the Twin Towers, and I turned the TV on as the second plane was entering into the second tower. They realized it wasn't a bomb in the first one. I remember the feeling. I remember that like, trauma has ingrained every moment of that day. I remember gas prices going up that afternoon. I remember where I went for lunch. I remember who I met with. I remember when I came back. I remember the little conversations that are in between and every aspect of it. I remember it. I remember that Sunday when the whole world went to church and there was standing room only in the balconies. There were people crying at the altars and everybody was left in wonder what's going to happen next. You know it's something whenever Democrats and Republicans are sitting there arm in arm saying, hey, we will stand together and we will fight this. And that's what this nation needs again is a unity across all peoples and all line in order to say truly we will stand again, we will stand together against anything that comes against our country, our people, for us, the church, the unity of the body to rise up. But what what they realized was they were utterly destitute. We were all utterly destitute. Nothing we could manufacture would fix the problem in the moment. Nothing we could do would fix our internal trauma we were experiencing. And we realized it. And so everybody ran to the church. And God knows we need that. God knows we need that understanding that what that was was a poor in spirit realizing, wait a minute, we don't have the answers. But God, you do. And the, and the kingdom of heaven is in the possession of those who maintain that heart attitude of post 9-11. Because I'm going, to, I'm going to the Lord because I don't have the answers myself. He will decide. He will guide me into what's going to happen next. The kingdom of heaven is possessed by those people. When I started in ministry, I started out leading mission trips. People, and people think whenever they go on a mission trip, man, I'm going to go to this other country. I'm going to help these people, and I'm just going to bless them. In fact, the, op- the opposite happens. You go to the country, you get, you get out of the plane, and you're all excited, and all of a sudden the people you go to minister to bless you, and they help you because they give you perspective. They give you a fresh perspective of something that you didn't otherwise see while you're living in your self-sustained and self-appeased America. One of our greatest hopes here is that you wouldn't spend your life living in Henderson County, even the state, or even the nation. But you would get out and, and, and go on a mission trip with us at one time or a mission trip with someone out of this country and see a people that are in these situations who are so poor, so destitute, but yet they're so happy. They have a different perspective on life. And you'll also find, in fact, 
They have one set of clothes. They got a, a busted up soccer ball and maybe no, no shoes, but they're singing. They're sitting there singing and playing and having the time of their lives. And you get out of that van and all of a sudden you have perspective because you thought you're going to come bless these poor people. And all of a sudden they break you down because you realize you have so much and you so, we grumble so much. And perspective, the poor in spirit who belongs to the kingdom. What they've realized is, yes, they're destitute and they have nothing without the living God. And so they lean into him to find true joy, true happiness in life. And nothing in their situation affects them in such a great measure when it comes to the things of God and true living and true joy and true happiness. Because they know without God, they are nothing. And without God... They have nothing. And all of a sudden, that mind shift begins to take place and they bless you. So we need to understand that we don't have as much as we think we have. And we are actually completely and utterly destitute. We, we're needy. And then when you get before God like that, you're blessed. So that's my goal, that's what we're hoping, is today at least we start there, that we all get to an understanding is, wait a minute, even though I have all these things and all this stuff and even all this opportunity, when I get before the Lord, I'm destitute, I'm bankrupt, I got nothing. So I want to... <laughs> I want to explain the revelation a little bit. I don't have enough time. Probably do a message another another day. But you know, in the book of Revelation, it's a, about the apocalypse. It's kind of about the end times. But Jesus shows up to John, who was exiled to Patmos, Patmos, and uh, an island, and he shows up and he's given seven messages, and it's the seven churches, and he's and he's talking this last message in, in chapter three of Revelation. He's talking to the church of uh, Laodicea. And so he says this in Revelation 3, 15 and 17. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold nor hot, but I wish you were either one or the other. He says, man, I, I, I can see you've been coming to church. I can see you've been doing the church thing. You, you, you've been serving a little bit even. You checked the box. You, I mean, you got a dream center, but it's more like a check box type scenario than anything. God, I can see that. Food is, either, you know, food is either really good when it's, it's good when it's either cold or hot, but when it's, when it's tepid, it, it doesn't have that same flavor. Anybody showed up to a party a little bit late and the food's just been sitting there for a minute? Like, man, I wish I was there when it was hot. I bet this was good. I bet that flavor was just, mm, but not now. I just kind of want to, I'm not really that hungry. It helps me with my diet. I don't want to eat that much. But he's saying right here, he said, I wish... I wish you'd just be one or the other. Just be all one way or the other because you're confused about where you really are because you're really lukewarm. He says, yeah, it's good that you're checking the boxes that you're showing up and you're doing a little bit to say you do it to feel good inside. But he's saying, I wish you'd just be passionate about what you're doing. I wish you'd be hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, he says, and lukewarm comes from an attitude. It, it comes from a, a heart a position. It comes from, it, I'm good. Like I do my part, somebody else just needs to show up and do a little bit. 
I do enough. I did this, I did this, and I did That's enough. And that's a, that's a lukewarm heart attitude. He says, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. I'm good. But you do not realize, and this is Jesus, he's talking to the church, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't ambiguous about anything, any of his thoughts, was he? Like, he was pretty straight, straightforward. You've gotten so used to just doing stuff, and you carried a heart of just doing stuff because you're rich now, you're wealthy, I got it all. I'm just going to show up and check my boxes. But you're completely missing what we had in store is what he's saying. The whole purpose is to realize I won't have anything if it wasn't for Jesus. And because I realize how destitute I am, I'm going after him. If you ever surrender to that place where everything I have comes, comes from him, and if, and if I ever need anything else, it won't be through my own strength, but him. I, have, I got no problem living according to his requirements, to his commands, because I wouldn't have anything else if it weren't for him. I don't, have, I don't have any problem bringing back to him what belongs to him. Because I wouldn't have it if it wasn't for him. Let me give you four things God provides for us that we don't have. Without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. It's not just asking for forgiveness and, and finding forgiveness of our sins. No, there has to be a, a somebody has to pay. There's a price that has to be paid. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't realize that what we do in sin has to be paid for. Someone has to pay. Sorry isn't enough. He's not going to show up on the scene and say, I've recognized you've been doing some, you've been really trying hard, like you're doing some spiritual things. Hey, why don't we just call it good? Not, it doesn't work like that. Do you know you can say you're sorry, you can ask for forgiveness, and yet still there's no salvation. Somebody has to pay. And so in the midst of that, Jesus stepped in and he paid a debt that we owed. He says, I got it. I'll cover you. So because of Jesus, I have the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Hallelujah. Because he paid it. Not because I said the phrase, because I realize without him I'm destitute. I've got nothing. Nothing in my bank account with all the zeros count, account for anything. But because of Jesus. Ephesians 2.1.5 says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the, the ways of the world. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. And by the way, mercy is 
not getting what you deserve. Well, I deserve this, but Jesus showed up, so I didn't get that. And made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And by the way, grace is getting something you didn't deserve. Man, I don't deserve that. That's okay. Here, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Thank you. Thank you. I realize without that, I'm destitute. I got nothing. Bankrupt. Chapter 11. 13. All bankrupt. You have, you have to realize that sin accrued a debt that you are bound to pay, but Jesus took it all. And without Jesus, I can only cope through my pain and my personhood. Without Jesus, we're going to have to put a band-aid over our wounds. We're just going to have to learn how to get over it. Still hating people, hurting people, and being hurt by people. i got to find a new coping mechanism. I'm just going to have to learn to cope with it. Maybe someone can diagnose my issue and give me some medication so that I can get through life without Jesus. I'm just working through my issues. We've owned these clinical understandings of the world, and we've accepted them for the church without Jesus. My grandpa was mean. My daddy was mean. I'm going to be mean. That's just how we are. That's just how God made me. Well, maybe it is true, Greg. Maybe you were born that way. But how about be born again? I sit in counseling with a long time ago with a young man who I, I've loved. Tempted by homosexual desires and knows he's been, knows he's given his life to the Lord. And he sat there and he said, this is how, this is how God made me. And his mom said, well, be born again. <laughs> I said, go ahead, mama. I don't even know if I need to be here. It's like, you got it. Jeremiah 6.14 says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds. They give assurance of peace when there is no peace. The world and even the church has become more focused on a clinical diagnosis and the treatment these days than they are superficial. They give you assurance, hey, if you'll just do this, you'll be able to cope with it. But there's no peace. But because of Jesus, I have the power to be healed and transformed. 1 Peter 2, 24, 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, not you can be, you have been healed. It's a declaration for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Do you know that your soul is overseen? I'm telling you, I want to invite you to first Wednesday. I'm going to show you a perspective of your soul being overseen. Do you know that there is power that can heal your soul? Do you know that, that you don't have to stay who you are? Do you know that you don't have to stay shy and full of anxiety? You don't have to, you don't have to be mean. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness 
faithfulness and self-control. You spend enough time with the Lord, all of a sudden your inner character begins to align with God's character and you won't even recognize yourself just because you are spending time with God. You didn't effort it. You didn't work for it. You just surrender to it. And all of a sudden, shift begin to take place. Your friends won't even recognize you. Your coworkers won't recognize you, but your boss is going to give you a raise. <laughs> I need more guys like that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Without Jesus, I'm trying to find or create my own life. Oh, it gets good here. God has put eternity into the hearts of men, Ecclesiastes says. He has, he has also put a sense of purpose inside of you, but he only put a sense. He put a sense inside of you so that you would go and search him out so that you could define what that, the fullness of that sense that you're sensing, that you're feeling. You would go to the one who is the author and the finisher to find the fullness of what your purpose is in him. And for without Jesus, you're creating your own life. You're doing it your own way. For Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God says, I know the plans. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. The world doesn't know. God says, I know. I'm your author. I know the plans I have for you. Which stands to say that if you look for these plans anywhere else, you won't find them. Because of Jesus, I have the ability to know who I am and what my life is all about. This is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Praise God for salvation, but don't settle for just salvation. You can be healed, delivered, set free, and sent out on purpose. Acts 17, 26, 28, from one man he made all nations, I got to develop this a little bit, they, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history. If you don't get anything else, you got to get this. And if you can't see that God has got you here on purpose, specifically for a reason in this time and season, this generation and this space throughout this passage right here, I just got to ask you to pray the Holy Spirit just drop the scales off of your eyes and the, and the veil off of your heart. Because his word says right here, before the world, even the foundations were formed, God set your time and space, your time in eternity. He says, marked out their appointed time in history. Before the foundations were created, you being here was already settled. And then, not only that, oh, I can't stand Athens, Texas. Well, I'm sorry, the boundaries, the boundaries of the lands where you would be, Athens, Texas. But if you go searching for where and what from anywhere else, you're not gonna find it and you're gonna be frustrated because it's only from him. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live 
and move and have our being. It can't come from anywhere else. Lord, give me a sign. Without Jesus, I am living my life for joys that fade away. That place that used to be fun, man, I, I, man, that was a lot of fun. Let's go do it again. Oh, uh, yeah, it's not that fun. Man, that meal was good. Let's go have another one or maybe two of them. You know what? Second or third time, it wasn't that great. There's a word called anhedonia. And it's the symptom of depression. It means there's things that I really used to enjoy. I don't enjoy it anymore. Something just don't feel right. You've lost your joy, but it doesn't have to be the case. 1 Peter 1 and 3 says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Do you know what your inheritance is? Do you know what your purpose is? In Psalms, in Psalms 2, no. Psalms 2, ask of me and I will give you an inheritance. Your purpose is to make an eternal impact in other people's lives. He says, I'm going to give you people, but it's going to require you getting outside of your little comfort zone and start to move into the lives of others to make an eternal impact in their lives. That's our purpose. And as an inheritance, we get the people. The happiest people on earth or the planet on the planet are the are those who are impacting the lives of others for eternity. Because of Jesus, I can have the joy of living a life that glorifies God and impacts others. Because of Jesus. Otherwise, I'm trying to manufacture it in and of myself. John 15, 8 and 11. Man, this is a, 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 a phrase that keeps coming up. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We're going out and impacting the lives of others, bearing fruit, glorifying the Father. And in doing so, his joy is in me so that I actually have complete joy. You see how that works? Lord, if you'll just give me joy, I'll go out and serve each other. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. He didn't give you the pen to be the author of the word of God. Or creates, or creation, or eternity. He said, no, no, no. You go out, you start impacting the lives of others, glorifying me and bearing fruit. I'll give you joy, and your joy will be complete. And you'll never be happy until you start doing something that impacts the lives of others. So the first takeaway is this. Jesus, I need you. I need you. And I want to pray for somebody today. I've had this, this burden, this, man, you just know when the Holy Spirit shows up. One is, is salvation, and, and I want to I get to that. In fact, we're going to have a prayer team after this. If you've yet to truly understand that you're destitute before God, I want to invite you to come forward with our prayer team after this. 
But I want to get to this one right here. And I want to pray for people who've been struggling with anxiety. And if you're here today, would you be so bold as to stand up? We don't normally do this. I'm telling you, we don't normally do this. But I know it's from the Lord. Can I just put my own hand up? From a loss of sleep? Maybe it has night terrors connected to it. Maybe it doesn't. Panic attacks? Two conversations this morning already. Just pause that first. I mean, keep, keep going, but just give me a second. Anxiety. Got into a situation. Anxiety. Man, I just hadn't been able to sleep. Anybody else? Y'all will, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your healing power. Thank you that without you, we're destitute. But because of you, we have the power of healing, of restoration, of the born again, resurrected life inside of us. And right now, we just tear down the power of anxiety in this house. And we just command that it go in Jesus' name. We actually curse the power of anxiety. And we bless every life giving human in this place that has been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And right now we command a complete healing of, uh, from anxiety, a complete restoration of soul. We pray for an impartation of true identity and hope. We pray for a strengthening of the body of Christ right now in Jesus' name. We command sleep-filled nights. We command the panics, uh, the attacks of a panic uh, and an anxiety to be, to be settled at the feet of Jesus in Jesus' mighty name. Right now, we just pray for a, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit into the soul of every one of us, every individual that is standing right now, that is responding to your prayers, at your, your, your word as an act of obedience, Father, that you just move in their lives and move in their, in their lives in such a way that they can see that it's only because of the response, only because of the, their heavenly Father, and only because of what the finished work on the blood of Jesus on the cross, the resurrected tomb, that they have peace, a supernatural and un, unrecognizable peace in the midst of every challenging and every unknown and every suspicious circumstance and experience that they are going to, they are going through, they will, they will encounter and they will endure. And Father, I just pray right now that you just settle, settle, that you just settle every worry every fear and every thought and you bring it to the obedience of Christ in Jesus mighty name we pray amen